Luke chapter number 23. I'm sure every parent that has raised children, particularly multiple children under the same roof, knows that solving problems between people requires the ability to get to the root of an issue. Because when you're solving a problem or trying to figure out what the problem is, usually the things that you hear first, the things that you hear on the surface, are not necessarily the problem. But you've got to bore down. You've got to know how to ask the right questions. You have to, you have to learn how to look beyond the description and ask questions that will bore down to core issues. Asking the right questions and skillfully navigating the statements being made is essential in getting to those root issues. Are you good at doing that? Are you good at setting aside the surface and asking the right questions to get down to the core and identifying what really the issue is? Being able to deal with the core of what's going on instead of the peripheral things that are used as excuses on the surface? We're at a time in Jesus Christ's experience where that comes into play pretty strongly as Jesus Christ is brought to, to be judged by the political leaders of the day. And what we're going to learn today, it's actually your little your bluff, your bottom line up front on your little worksheet there. Jesus isn't the one who's really on trial. It isn't really Jesus that's on trial. Although it appears to be Jesus who's on trial. At this point in our study in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus Christ has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was taken to the high priest's palace. Uh, and there he underwent three Jewish religious trials. Uh, one before Annas, the, the high priest in name, and his uh, son who was the son-in-law who was the current acting high priest Caiaphas, and back and forth between those two men, Jesus Christ endured three trials. He was pronounced guilty, and, the, uh, and they beat him and abused him. And there in the high priest's palace, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus Christ. Well, at the end of those trials, the end of the second trial, actually, they... They, they beat him, then they waited for the dawn of the day, for just at, at the break of day, they, they had the third trial to make it appear legitimate because it was illegal to have a trial in the middle of the night. And so after the third trial, the Bible says in Luke chapter 23, in verse number 1, that they then led him to Pilate. Pilate was the Roman official that was in charge. And, uh, and the Roman officials have to be brought into the situation because the Jewish Supreme Court, the great Sanhedrin, do not have the, the right to execute a person who their law says is worthy of death. The Roman government had taken the right of execution away from the Sanhedrin, and only the Roman government could execute 
a criminal. And so they have to take Jesus to the Roman officials in order to secure from the Romans uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, because it's Passover season, Jerusalem is overcrowded would be a... uh, would, would not do justice to the reality of the situation. It is packed. Not only the city, but the surrounding areas around the city. Jewish people from all over have come to Jerusalem for Passover. And so the city is bursting at the seams. There is tremendous um, struggle between the Jewish people and the Roman government. So whenever you have a crowd of Jewish people gathering together for a major religious feast, this is the uh, perfect opportunity for a, for a revolt, for a religious leader to amass the people to revolt against Rome. And so at a moment like this, at Passover season, where the city is bursting and it seems, all of the top Roman guys are going to be there keeping an eye on things. Pilate actually lived in Caesarea, up on the Mediterranean sea coast, where Herod the Great had built the great Caesarea Maritima. And that's where Pilate's Roman headquarters were. It was the capital of Israel for the Roman government. And that's where Pilate lived and operated as the Roman uh, official. Herod Antipas ruled over Galilee, and he lived in Tiberias, the city on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. Herod Antipas and Pilate neither lived in Jerusalem, but because Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel, the Jewish people, they often came, particularly if there was going to be a big feast day, because there is a high likelihood that if trouble's going to occur, It's going to occur in Jerusalem when it's crowded at a Jewish feast. And so Pilate's there, most likely staying in the, um, in the, uh, let's go to the next uh, slide if we could. Uh, There are three, the the episode that we're looking at this morning, there are three terms used in the Bible. There's the term praetorium, judgment hall, and the pavement. Those three Words are used in the texts, the gospel texts about the location where Jesus Christ was before the Roman, uh, the Roman leaders giving, uh, being judged. Uh, Praetorium simply means any place where the praetor or the Roman governor is. It could be a tent on a battlefield. It could be his house. Wherever he is, it's kind of like Air Force One. It's just a plane. But when the President Biden is in it, it's Air Force One. Uh, it, wherever it, wherever he is, that dis, that, you know, that defines that, that location, uh, with regards to the, the airplane. Well, the same thing was true here. Wherever the praetor was, that was the praetorium. And so, that word is used. Judgment hall was where, it was the bema seat where judgment would be meted out for people who broke the law. And the pavement had to do with the, 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 a stone patio area. So these terms are used. Now, there's, for those of you who like archaeology and stuff like that, there's disagreement as to where these were. Some teach that it was the Fortress of Antonio. If you go visit Israel, you'll go to the Fortress of Antonio. You'll go down to the basement. You'll see uh, a level of stone, pavement stone. And in those, you'll 
see one particular one where they were back in antiquity. Uh, some Roman soldiers uh, uh, carved into the stone the pattern of a game they played called the King's Game. And uh, think of a, uh, a tic-tac-toe board. And it didn't look like it had circles and lines and, and they had dice. And it's where they would gamble and play games uh, when they were just killing time there uh, at that location. And that was, that was put in, by the way, 135 years, 100 years after Jesus Christ was crucified, using stones they collected from elsewhere. So we don't know for sure that that's authentic. There are others who believe that Herod's palace, the it was built by Herod the Great that was the Roman uh, place of jurisdiction of, of where the, the Roman governor lived, where the Roman governor ruled Israel from Herod's, what's known as Herod's Palace. Uh, it doesn't exist today, but its ruins is up in this area. Some believe it was up there. Uh, regardless of whether um, which place it is, uh, it would have likely been in one of those two places. But we're here at the place where Jesus Christ is taken there to where Pilate is, where it's at the break of day. They, they may even have awakened him because the Bible says that he went out to them because they wouldn't come into the praetorium where Pilate was. And some have uh, have depicted that in artwork. In fact, this next screen will show the most famous piece of artwork. Uh, that uh, comes from antiquity of this moment where Pilate presents Jesus Christ to the people. Uh, this would have been a little bit later on in the morning and uh, makes the final judgment of Jesus Christ. But you can see he's on a balcony overlooking the people outside. The Bible says that the Sanhedrin would not go into the praetorium because that would defile them and they wouldn't be able to take part in the Passover later that day. So they would not go into the praetorium. So Pilate went out to the people. Some have depicted that, that he went out to a balcony area looking out on the Sanhedrin. And later in the day, the gathering of all the people that shouted for Jesus Christ to be crucified. Now, there was some real opposition between the Roman government and the Sanhedrin and all of Israel because of the, the Jewish people's resistance of being ruled over by the Gentile Caesar who declared himself to be God. There was particular animosity between the Sanhedrin and Pilate. Because when Pilate came into power, Pilate did some things that really, um, his efforts to make a name for himself, but it backfired on him and created some tremendous animosity uh, between the Sanhedrin and Pilate that had repercussions all the way back to Rome. When Pilate visited Jerusalem the first time after he was granted the governorship of Israel by Caesar in Rome, he rode into town with an entourage of soldiers all on their, their Roman war horses with big standards, Roman standards, flags, and upon the top of them, big gold eagles representing Rome and a depiction of Caesar's face, a bust of Caesar on the top of each standard, which was their God. They worshipped Caesar. He was God to the Roman soldiers. And when Pilate rode through Jerusalem with the idol of Caesar prominently displayed, the Jewish people were irate 
with him for bringing idolatry into their city of Jerusalem. But that was only the first of a number of things that Pilate did. He installed a number of shields in Herod's palace on the western edge of Jerusalem that again depicted uh, Caesar and the, the idolatry of worship of Caesar. That made the Jews so mad, they actually traveled all the way to Rome to complain to Caesar personally at what Pilate was doing to create animosity between the Roman government and the people of Israel. Pilate did a number of things that really created a, a tension. And Caesar saw it. And Caesar told, in fact, Caesar sent an order to Pilate and said, get those shields out of Jerusalem, take them to Caesarea and display them in a pagan temple, but get them out of Jerusalem. And Caesar recognized that Pilate may not be the man for the job in Jerusalem. And so Pilate is on his last leg of his job security. And the tension is real, and the Sanhedrin knows because of all the things that have happened, they know that Pilate is on shaky ground. So the Sanhedrin feels empowered with leverage against Pilate. They're in the mood for making demands of Pilate. And they know that if they cause an uproar, that Pilate likely will lose his job. And so there is a political tension between the Sanhedrin and between uh, Pilate, and it is this morning that the Sanhedrin shows up at his doorstep at the break of day, and they have Jesus in tow, who has been up for over a full day now. He was up all night last night. He's been beaten in the face. He's in all likelihood bloody and, and bruised. They have spit repeatedly into his face, so his face, his hair is likely matted with blood and with spittle that's dried, and he is exhausted from being up all night, and they bring Jesus to Pilate, and they want Pilate to pronounce, or to agree with their decision to have Jesus crucified. Jesus is going to stand before Pilate, he's then going to be dismissed to Herod, and then he's going to come back to Pilate. So this morning, Jesus Christ will go through three trials before the secular authorities of Rome. And the whole purpose of it is to be able to secure Jesus Christ's execution by the Roman authorities. Now, Pilate wants to defuse the situation. He, does not, he doesn't want a revolt. He doesn't want this thing, this powder cake to explode. So he's looking for every way to defuse the situation and to be able to do the thing that is just and right as a government, governor of the jurisdiction and yet to not be used by the Sanhedrin for a nefarious purpose. Now, with that said, I want you to see with me this morning that there are three issues at play. And they're very different issues. There are three issues at play here. And the first issue, I'll call it the real issue. You see, the real issue is that Jesus claimed to be God. 
When Jesus Christ, through the night, was being tried by the Sanhedrin in the high priest's palace, there was no talk of insurrection. There was no talk of not paying taxes. There was no talk of being a revolutionary that the Roman government needs to be afraid of. The whole judgment before the Sanhedrin was over Jesus Christ's claim to be God. In the second trial before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin recorded in Matthew 26, the Bible says that Jesus held his peace and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoke blasphemy. What further need we of any witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? And they answered and said, He is guilty of death. Understand the real issue. The real issue is Jesus God. That's the real issue. And the Sanhedrin tried him over whether or not he did in fact claim to be God. Because if he did claim to be God, he's a blasphemer. And according to Jewish law, a blasphemer is worthy of death and would be stoned to death under Jewish law for blaspheming, calling himself God. That's the real issue. Is Jesus Christ God? At the third trial, at dawn, before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, Luke 22 records, Luke 22:66. as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, the chief priests and scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. He said unto them, If I tell you, ye will not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that, that I am. Again, that Jewish colloquialism that said, You said it. It's exactly what is right. Just as you said. And they said, What need we any further witnesses? For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. If Jesus was not God, he was worthy of death by stoning at the hand of the Sanhedrin. And they would rightly take Jesus outside the city and they would stone him for claiming to be God if he's not God. That was the real issue on the morning of Jesus Christ's trials. The issue, however, with regards to taking him to the Romans, was the fact that the Romans had taken away from them the right of stoning, the right of execution. Now, because of the challenge, because of the tension between the Roman government and the Sanhedrin, sometimes the Sanhedrin went ahead and executed anyway. Do you know of a famous person that the Sanhedrin went ahead and executed just a few weeks ahead of this moment? Anybody hear the story of Stephen? They executed Stephen by stoning him without getting Roman authority. 
the tension between Rome and Israel and Pilate being on his last leg with the Caesar in Rome for job security resulted in the Jewish Sanhedrin sometimes just doing what they were going to do regardless of what the Roman government said. But they're not doing that with Jesus. Because the Sanhedrin doesn't want Jesus' blood on their hands. They know how popular he is. They know that if they kill him by stoning, that there's the possibility that Israel, the people that have followed Jesus and that are pro-Jesus, are going to be anti-Sanhedrin. So the Sanhedrin doesn't want to touch it with their own hands. So they're before the Roman government, and they want the Roman government to execute Jesus. Now remember, the Old Testament said he would die by crucifixion. Jesus had already said on the trip from Galilee to Jerusalem, Jesus had told them that he was going to die at the hand of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles execute by crucifixion. Jesus told his disciples that's how he was going to die. And so, he will not die at the hand of the Sanhedrin by stoning. And the Sanhedrin will have none of that. Not because they're trying to fulfill Scripture, but because they don't want that on their head. And so they bring Jesus to the Roman authorities to get their approval and execution. But you know, the strange thing is that even though the Sanhedrin had a, a legal reason to stone him over blasphemy if he isn't God. Even if that's what they're trumping up overnight, finding Jesus guilty of blasphemy and declaring him worthy of death, remember that Caiaphas had earlier said, if we let this guy live, the Roman government is going to take away our place. We're going to lose our position as the Supreme Court of Israel. We're, and remember, Annas and Caiaphas had a monopoly gone with the bazaars of Annas. And so they were protecting their wealth. They were protecting their jobs. They were protecting their prestige. It's either Jesus or us. And so at the end of the day, it didn't matter to them whether he was God or not. They want rid of him, and they had said it. Plainly, they wanted rid of him. It's better that one die for the nation than the nation die under the Romans. And so we must execute Jesus Christ. And so they had a political twist to it, even though their presentation is all about Jesus' deity. They rejected Jesus' claim as to who he is. Understand that the real issue for you and the real issue for the Sanhedrin is Jesus God. That is a game changer. Because if he's not God, go live your life the way you want to. Get all the pleasure you can get out of life. Don't ever read your Bible or pray to this Jesus who is a phony. If he claimed to be God but wasn't, go live your life. And don't worry about Eternity. But if he is God, that is the game changer of life. And that's the real issue 
the day that they brought Jesus to the Roman governor for permission or for the government to then step in and execute Jesus by crucifixion. Now that leads to the second issue. The second issue, I call this the political issue. This isn't the real issue. But it is the issue that is being discussed in our text this morning. The real issue is whether Jesus Christ is God or not. But the Roman government could care less about that. So that's not the political issue that they bring to Pilate. The political issue is you can't trust Jesus. He may lead a revolution. In verses 1 through 5 of our text, the Bible says in verses 1 and 1 that they led him to Pilate. Verse 2 said they began to accuse him. Now listen carefully to what the Sanhedrin tells Pilate. They arrested him because he's a blasphemer. They found him guilty of blasphemy. They condemned him to death for blasphemy. But when they take him to Pilate, they say in verse number 2, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. What? None of that was brought up in the three trials overnight. None of that is the reason that Jesus Christ is being put to death. Those are all political lies. Politics. It doesn't matter what the truth is. What matters is the outcome. It doesn't matter whether this is right or wrong. What matters is if we're getting killed. And so they lie. They go to Pilate and said, we're bringing him to you for you to rubber stamp our decision that he's worthy of death and for you to take him and put him to death because you've withheld from us the responsibility or the privilege of executing criminals. Well, what's he guilty of? You can't trust him. He perverts the nation. He tells people not to pay their taxes. You don't have to go back many pages in your Bible. Earlier this very week, they asked him about taxes. And earlier this very week, he said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. And here they, just days later, they go to Pilate and they lie to Pilate about why they want Jesus Christ put to death. Now, by the way, on the back of your little worksheet is a, is a um, bit of a, a um, uh, where you put the, the uh, text together to create the story. Uh, at the bottom of the second page, you see the, the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you can see Pi Jesus before Pontius Pilate the first time. Then he's before Herod Antipas. And then he's back before Pontius Pilate the second time. There, there's no one place in the Gospels you can read all of the dialogue and all that transpired. That gives you the opportunity in your Bible study to read the different Gospels and be able to dovetail them together. You can't read all of the details in Luke's account, but Jesus Christ before Pilate begins to be interrogated. Pilate takes Jesus inside the praetorium, begins to question him and interrogate him. He wants to know, are you a king? What, what, what is this that they've accused you of? Are, are you a king? Are, who are you? Do you have a kingdom? 
And in verse number three of our text, the Bible says that Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, Thou sayest it. That's, that's, what the, that's, that's the fact of the matter. That's what the truth is. Now, if you read in John's gospel, some of the other gospels, you'll find that at that point, Pilate and Jesus had a more lengthy conversation than what Luke records. And Jesus, and, and in the interrogation, Pilate wants to know about Jesus' kingdom. Jesus said, yes, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my followers would have their swords out and they'd be fighting for me against you. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is of another world. And Jesus Christ said, my kingdom is built on my people hearing truth from me. And this is where Pilate said, what is truth? And he turned around and he walked back out onto the balcony, perhaps, to the Sanhedrin that was outside. And he said, I find nothing in this man worthy of death. This man is innocent of anything that would be worthy of the Roman government crucifying him for a crime. And all of a sudden, verse number 4 and 5 of Luke, the, the people, uh, Pilate says, I find no fault. And the people begin to, to speak more fiercely. And they stir up the people. And they make the statement, he has been teaching throughout all of Jewry from Galilee to this place in Jerusalem. Pilate is looking for a way out. Pilate is a typical politician. Truth is not important to Pilate. How to get out of this situation is important to Pilate. Because if this power keg blows up, Caesar will have his head. And he did have his head not too awful many years down the road. Pilate knows he's got to calm this down. But the Sanhedrin is angry. And they said, from Galilee to Jerusalem... This man has been causing all sorts of problems in Israel. And Pilate said, Galilee, did you say? I focus on Judea. There's another governor, uh, Roman governor, Roman official that deals with Galilee. His name is Herod Antipas. You remember Herod Antipas? He's the guy that had Jesus' cousin, had his head cut off in Fort Machiris because of his preaching on morality, or should I say on Herod's immorality. Herod Antipas is the one who had John the Baptist executed by cutting off his head. And so Pilate says, Herod just happens to be here from Tiberias. Because all the Roman governors are there in Jerusalem trying to keep everything calmed down so that they, they don't explode against the Roman government. And so Pilate does the politician Act, he does the political thing to do. I'll pass the buck to somebody else. Let them deal with this hot potato. So he ships Jesus off to Herod Antipas, which wouldn't be but a few blocks away, probably at the Herodium, or, or, or not the Herodium, but the, uh, another palace that was there in Jerusalem, where Herod would sometimes stay when he was in town. And so they, they sent him to Herod. Herod was excited about that. Herod lived in Tiberias. You know where Tiberias is? Just a few miles from Nazareth. Just a few miles from Capernaum, where Jesus Christ spent all of his time in Galilee. Herod had been around Jesus Christ 
for three years, but had never personally met him. Herod said, this is great. I've always wanted to see Jesus in person. I've heard all about him. I've heard of the miracles. I've heard about the things that he's done and the things that he's taught. But I've never been able to see it with my own eyes. I want to see him perform a miracle for me. And so Herod's excited to get the opportunity to hear this man that he has heard so much about for three years. And maybe even get a little magic show on the side. To satisfy his curiosity. And so, in comes Jesus. Beaten. Spit and blood dried in his hair. Exhausted from being up all night. His clothes bloody. They bring him in, bound, before Herod. And he doesn't look anything like what Herod expected Jesus to look like. And Herod began to ask Jesus questions. And our text tells us in verses 6 to 12 of Luke 23 that Jesus Christ didn't say a word. Verse number 9, then he questioned with many, in many words, but he answered him nothing. Jesus in absolute silence doesn't give Herod the opportunity to hear an answer to one question. He just stares at Herod and doesn't open his mouth. That must have burnt Herod up. He's used to men bowing at him and doing everything he told them to do. And Jesus stands there and stares at him and refuses to say one word. He asks him another question. No answer. He asked him another question. No answer. With many words, he kept asking, kept asking, kept asking. No answer, no answer, no answer. Finally, Herod got put out with Jesus Christ, and he had his men of war get a beautiful garment. They say that Herod used to, use, used to wear white robes with silver threads in, that, in them, so when the sun reflected off him, he had a dazzling presence. He was an egomaniac, Roman governor, that expected to be worshipped and bowed to. And Jesus, knowing that he had had his own cousin's head cut off, won't give him the pleasure of one answer. He just stares at him. Finally, Herod, put out by Jesus' behavior, has his men of war put a gorgeous robe on Jesus Christ, and they begin to mock him, laugh at him, mock him for his demeanor, mock him for his appearance. And finally, when he got tired of the mockery and the laughter there, he sent Jesus back to Pilate. So in verse 13 of our text, Jesus Christ goes back to Pilate again the selfsame day. Herod and Pilate becoming friends because of their common despicable attitude toward Jesus Christ, where they had been at enmity between themselves. As Greg mentioned to me this last week, isn't that amazing? Jesus brings people together, even at a point like this. The presence of Jesus does bring people together, doesn't he? And he brought Herod and Pilate together that day. And so he's before Pilate the second time. This is the longer time before Pilate. Pilate... Has Jesus come back and Pilate immediately looks at the, at the chief priest of the Sanhedrin in verse number 13. 
when he had called together the chief priests and rulers of the people, he says unto them, Ye have brought this man to me as one that perverteth the people. I have examined him before you, having found no fault in this man touching those things where ye accuse him. Nor, no, nor yet Herod, for I sent him, uh, you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done. Pilate looks at the Sanhedrin. He knows he's being used by the Sanhedrin. Pilate's no dummy. He knows who Jesus is. He's been there in Israel for these three years. He has been in Jerusalem all this week while Jesus Christ had crowds, bumper crowds on the temple platform listening to him teach. Pilate knows what the deal is, and he knows he's being used by the Sanhedrin, but he knows they've got leverage because they can get him fired. They'd already sent word back to Caesar on previous occasions, and he knows they've got power over him. And so it's a, it's a, a political match here, a political game between the Sanhedrin and Pilate. He says, look, guys, there's nothing worthy of death, by the way. That's the third time. First time he was in front of Pilate. I find nothing worthy of death. Herod finds nothing worthy of death. Back to Pilate. We find nothing worthy of death. The Jewish law only requires two witnesses to confirm a verdict. Three verdicts. Innocent. 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 He's not to be feared. Look at him. You think the Roman government with all the Roman military power is afraid of this man stained in blood and spit, beaten in his face, tied up? You think we're afraid of him? You're telling us that we need to be so afraid of him that we're going to execute him? There is nothing worthy of this man being executed. Three times his innocence declared by the Roman government on the basis of the lies that the Sanhedrin brought. He's a revolutionary that's stirring up the people to revolt, and he's telling people, don't pay your taxes to Caesar. Lies. And they find him to be totally innocent of the lies that they have told. And so the Sanhedrin rallies the people that had gathered by this time, and they begin to shout, And they begin to condemn Jesus Christ. Pilate, by the way, said, I'll just chastise him and release him. That's really interesting. He's innocent, so we're just going to beat him good. Well, if he's innocent, why are you going to beat him? Because he's in a political quagmire with the Sanhedrin. He's trying to de-emphasize this powder keg. He's trying to get them to be satisfied with what he does, short of executing an innocent man. And so he says, you want blood? I'll beat him good. And then I'll let him go. Feast day? We always release a prisoner on feast day. We got this murderer Barabbas who has been guilty of murder in your city. I could let him go. He took the worst criminal he had in prison at the time. And he said, I can let him go. Do you want a murderer who might murder your kids? Or I got Jesus. I'll just beat him real good. Excuse me. And then I'll let him go. Fully expecting them to say, okay, beat him good. That'll satisfy us and give us, give us Jesus as the prisoner released. But he underestimated the hatred of the Sanhedrin against God. Against Jesus Christ. 
who declared himself to be God. And so they began to shout and scream. They began to demand that he be crucified. Verse number 21, they cried, saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate argues, he says, why? What evil has he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them, of the chief priests, prevailed. Pilate at one point took Jesus Christ out and had him beaten. Trying, trying not to execute an innocent man. He had Jesus scourged. The horrible experience of scourging. Where the Roman soldiers would take him. Strip the robe off his back, lift his hands up in the air and tie them together to a, to a post. Sometimes so high that it lifted their feet off the ground so they were hanging from that, their hands being tied. And with their body taunt, they took the scourge, that short wooden pole with those bands of leather and Pieces of bone and glass and metal attached to the end of each one. Two or three different Roman soldiers, each with a scourge, would stand around and one after another from different directions, one after another. It would oftentimes kill a man as his organs fell to the floor because of how much flesh they removed. Oftentimes they would wrap around the head and take out the eyes and the teeth. The horrible horrible scourging maybe if i just beat him real bad maybe maybe your bloodthirst for his execution will be solved and i can come up short of executing by crucifixion an innocent man and he brought him back out and the picture doesn't really do a very good job because jesus christ didn't look anything like that at this point in time after all that he had endured through the night, the beatings culminating with the scourging. And Pilate brought him out. Pilate said, this is the man. He's innocent. He's done nothing worthy of death. I'll release him to you. The people, crucify him. Crucify him. Give us the murderer of Barabbas, but crucify Jesus Christ. And finally, Pilate walked over to a bowl of water. And he washed his hands. He said, what's about to be done is a travesty of judgment. He is an innocent man. He doesn't deserve to die. But you, lousy Sanhedrin, have got me over a barrel. And the whole politics of this thing stinks and you're using me to fulfill your bloodthirst against a man who claims to be your God and Messiah by the way by this time in the third in the second appearance to Pilate the third of the three Roman trials when Pilate was insistently trying to release this innocent man Finally, the Sanhedrin came clean. After the lies they told about him as a revolutionary and as a, tra a tax dodger, finally they admitted 
we have a law. And anyone who commits blasphemy is worthy of death. And they finally admit the real reason why they want Jesus killed. Because he claims to be God. And Pilate washes his hands. He said, this is wrong. I'll not take responsibility for this. I'm innocent of the blood of this just man. Go ahead. Fulfill your wicked desires. And he turned Pilate over to the Roman executioners for Jesus Christ to be crucified. The real reason is the reason, the question of the centuries. Who is Jesus Christ? The political reason. Uh, he's stirring up the people and telling everyone not to pay their taxes. That ought to get the Romans' attention because if there's anything the Romans are concerned about is paying taxes and not causing trouble to the Roman government. The political reason. But how about the final reason? The personal issue. The personal issue. The personal issue is Jesus may change your life. You understand that Jesus wasn't really on trial this day. Pilate was on trial. Herod was on trial. The Sanhedrin was on trial. They were on trial with regards to what they would do with the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. They all failed. And were guilty of disbelieving that Jesus is God. Who came out of love to bring mercy and truth to people who are lost and need to be saved. Driven by love. Driven by mercy. Driven by compassion and care for the souls of people. Jesus Christ stands bloodied and spit upon and beaten and scourged. And everyone else is on trial as to what they'll do with Jesus Christ. Two famous statements come out of this series of three Roman trials. One is Pilate presenting Jesus and saying, Behold the man. What are you going to do with him in your life? What are you going to do with him, Sanhedrin? Behold the man. What are you going to do? And the second famous statement that comes out of this series of trials is the expression that Pilate made when Jesus Christ said, I'm here to speak truth. And Pilate said, what is truth? Those two questions, behold the man and what is truth, boil down to the issue of all issues. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Is he really God? Is Jesus, the one who was crucified, really the man? 
who came and gave his life for you. And the real issue is a personal issue about your life because it's not Jesus on trial. You're on trial. And every time we come in the context or in the in the face-to-face with Jesus Christ, I am on trial. What will I do with this one who claims to be God? Eternal God. Do I believe that He's the one who gave Himself for me? And do I believe that's true? And will I take that truth and will I act upon it in my life personally? Who is Jesus Christ?